This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. In Pakistan, a suicide bombing at a mosque killed at least 59 worshippers and injured scores more. In Peshawar, close to the Afghanistan border, as they performed afternoon prayers. Up to 400 people were in the building, which was in a fortified security compound that houses the city's police and counter-terrorism offices. No group has claimed responsibility for the bombing, but the city has previously been terrorised by the Tariq-e-Taliban Pakistan, a militant group. Poland said it will increase defence spending to 4% of GDP this year, up from 2.4% in 2022. That would be the highest proportion among NATO members. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has made Poland, its neighbour, anxious. Poland recently signed a $1.4 billion deal to buy a second batch of Abrams tanks from America. Renault tentatively agreed to reduce its stake in Nissan from 43% to 15%, thus equalising the carmaker's shareholdings in each other. The French firm's largest ownership of its Japanese partner had long been a source of friction in their alliance. In return, Nissan will invest in Renault's electric vehicle unit. Talks to improve the fractious relationship have been underway for months. Jair Bolsonaro applied for a six-month tourist visa in America, where he has holed up since leaving Brazil's presidency. He aims to, quote, take some time off and clear his head, said his lawyer. Brazilian authorities are investigating whether he incited the Brasilia riots against his successor on January the 8th. Earlier, some 40 American congressmen urged the Biden administration to revoke his visa. Germany's GDP in the fourth quarter of 2022 was slightly worse than expected, shrinking 0.2% compared with the previous quarter. Despite pressures from high energy costs and rising interest rates, most analysts had expected GDP to be flat. Another contraction, as is predicted for the first quarter of 2023, would mean a recession, which it had previously seemed as though Germany might narrowly avoid. International holding company, the most valuable company listed in Abu Dhabi, promised to buy $400 million in shares of the besieged Indian conglomerate, the Adani Group. Adani Group's share offering was set off kilter last week by a scathing report from Hindenburg Research, a New York investment firm. The report accused Adani Group of market manipulation and accounting fraud, sparking a $65 billion stock market rout. America's Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, encouraged Palestinians and Israelis to calm tensions amid, quote, a new and horrifying surge in violence, as he landed in Tel Aviv on Monday. A recent spate of killings, including a gun attack on a synagogue in East Jerusalem and a deadly Israeli raid in the West Bank, has prompted fears that conflict could escalate further. And fact of the day, 11 billion, the total number of wet wipes Britons dispose of each year so many that they have begun to form islets in rivers. 
And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. The IMF's Latest Growth Forecast The health of the world economy will get a checkup on Tuesday when the IMF publishes its latest forecast. The last time it did this, in October, the outlook was not good. The fund predicted global growth in 2023 of just 2.7 percent, the weakest performance since the global financial crisis, barring the worst year of the pandemic. The outlook has improved a little since, however. Financial markets have rallied. A broad measure of emerging market share prices has had its best start to a year in decades. Headline inflation has fallen, allowing central banks to slow the rates at which they are tightening monetary policy. A warm winter in Europe has eased its energy crisis somewhat, and China has ditched the zero-COVID policy that hindered its growth and snarled supply chains. The world economy could avoid a deep downturn. But inflation is not yet fully under control, and economies on the cusp of recession can be unpredictable. The IMF's new prognosis may be brighter, but malaise remains. Adani's Troubles Rumble On Last week, Hindenburg Research, a small American investment firm, published a report calling the Adani Group, a big Indian conglomerate, quote, the largest con in corporate history. Adani dismissed the report as a ploy by Hindenburg, which as a short seller makes money when its target's share prices tank, to depress its share price ahead of a secondary share offering, which ends on Tuesday. If it was, it worked. The market value of the group's firms fell by nearly $70 billion, even though it published a 413-page rebuttal. The fallout could be more devastating yet. Life Insurance Corporation of India, a state insurer with 365 billion rupees, or $4.5 billion, invested in Adani companies, is studying the issue. Opposition parties have called for a, quote, serious investigation, pointing to ties between the Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Gautam Adani, the group's founder and boss. So far, Mr. Modi and his allies have been quiet. So, too, have prospective investors. The share offering, with which Adani hoped to raise $2.5 billion, has attracted few buyers. Maloney's Steady Start Georgia Maloney's right-wing Italian government completes its first 100 days on Tuesday. Its record so far has been reassuring. It has been a steadfast ally to Ukraine while following a conservative but not extreme program at home. The government successfully steered through Parliament a budget for 2023. Her Brothers of Italy, FDI party, is polling at almost 30 percent, compared with a vote share of 26 percent in September's general election. But the smooth sailing may not last. The FDI's gains have come at the expense of the Northern League and Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia, coalition partners that may yet cause Ms. Maloney problems, especially over plans for constitutional reform. During the next 100 days, Italy should receive its third tranche of almost 200 billion euros, or $218 billion, on offer from the EU's post-pandemic recovery fund. But spending is way behind schedule, perhaps due to bureaucratic shortcomings. And while markets have been supportive, heavily indebted Italy remains vulnerable to a bond market sell-off. Saving the Colorado River Coursing through America's arid southwest, the Colorado River supplies 40 million people in seven states with water and hydropower. But the region and river have suffered a two-decade drought, which has caused the water level to drop considerably. 
In 2021, the federal government declared the river's first-ever water shortage. In August last year, triggered mandatory cuts to how much water can be used by several areas in the Colorado River Basin. To comply with federal goals, states will need to agree who should cut what to reduce their usage by 2 to 4 million acre-feet, or 4.9 billion cubic meters, this year, around one-third of the river's annual flow. Tuesday marks a deadline, which has already been extended, for them to submit a plan. If they do not, the federal government will dictate how much water use must be reduced. Historically, states have determined their own water rights. Changing that may be unpopular, but it may be the only way to keep the river flowing. Shetland modernizes its marauders. Men dressed up as Vikings will march around Lerick in Shetland, Scotland's northernmost inhabited islands, on Tuesday, as they do every year. For Upheli A, Europe's biggest fire festival, a thousand goisers parade with torches and burn an imitation longship. This year, women, previously relegated to serving food and drink as hostesses, will be allowed to carouse alongside them. The decision follows a long campaign by some locals to update the event, which contributes significantly to Shetland's tourism revenue. Equality is slowly coming to the islands in other ways, too. In 2022, women were elected to senior positions on the island's council for the first time. Purists who might lament that the upgrade in women's roles is a break with Shetland's Norse traditions need not fret. Upheli A was actually dreamt up by Victorian do-gooders as a way to distract young men from drinking away the long winter nights. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. What was the code name given to the development of the nuclear bomb during the Second World War? Monday. Which small hand tool for boring holes is also used to describe a piercing stare? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Tallulah Bankhead, who was born on this day in 1902. I read Shakespeare and the Bible, and I can shoot dice. That's what I call a liberal education. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.